Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and today with me, as always, are... I'm Hui Chen Gui, a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. So today is a very special episode, because it's our 42nd episode, and we will be discussing... No, not Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but the TV show that started the entirety of peak TV, water cooler TV, the one that started it all, Lost. And we're all big fans of Lost. Like, we, we, I started watching it from day one. I'm assuming you guys did too? Yes. I did. That was my first TV show that I watched with my family, actually. Um, I sat down every Sunday with my mom and dad, and we watched Lost. I was watching it kind of concurrently with my mom. We would, like we had DVR, so she would watch it when when she could, and I would watch it when I could. Um, but by the time it got to be like the sixth season, we were watching it like at the same time. We should point out that on um, the twenty second was the anniversary. It was the twelfth anniversary of the premiere of Lost. Yes. So this yeah. is kind of in honor of that as well. Mm-hmm. I remember my start with Lost like it was yesterday because I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings, which meant I was, like, obsessed with Dominic Monaghan, so the fact that he was going to be in it was great. And then at Disneyland, the summer before the first season, some of the cast was there, and they were, like, doing a preview of the show. So I went, and so I saw this big preview, and I met some of the cast, and I was like, oh, the show is going to be so great. And then it was. I'm really jealous of you right now. Disneyland is just embedded into your life, like, with everything. But yeah, so like I remember, I just remember just this show starting and what a phenomenon it was. And I'm sure it's the same for you guys, and like watching week after week and just being shocked and being so invested and just wanting to know what would happen next. And I think that was pretty groundbreaking for a show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before then, we didn't really have like event TV watching. Maybe we had prestige television in the form of like The Sopranos, The Wire. We didn't have a show that like touched so many people. It wasn't, those weren't mainstream. They weren't mainstream. They were on cable. They were on HBO. Yeah. It's not TV. Yeah. It's <laughs> HBO. Um, Back in the day. Yeah, Lost was one of the first network basic cable TV shows that really kind of extended to everyone and everyone was like, oh, what's going to happen on Lost? Like, yeah. you, can, you can see the beginnings of the golden age, quote-unquote, of television that, we, that we're fully into right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Mad Men definitely took off because of that same basic notion of, like, the character development and serialized serial, television. Serialized television. Mm-hmm. Before that, we didn't really have a lot of serialized television mm-hmm. that was, and even if it was, it wasn't super mainstream. Like, even the X-Files for all its, what, ten seasons now, mm-hmm. most of it was procedural. Yeah, and like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, was pretty serialized for a primetime television show, but again, very episodic. And very niche mm-hmm. for its audience. Mm-hmm. So Lost has gotten a lot of criticisms over the years, um, especially after its ending. But we are here to defend Lost. Yes, we are. Um, yes, we are. What is the the fan term for Lost fans? Um, Losties. Losties. That's yeah. awful. You think so? I, I guess so. I mean, and we should say that like it wasn't a perfect show with like every single episode. I certainly like have my moments where I could have some criticism against the show, mm-hmm. but I feel like. It's almost become cool 
for fans who didn't like the ending to kind of now just write off the entire series. And even people who never watched Lost are just like, oh, Lost, that show that had a terrible ending. So it's become infamous almost for its very controversial and polarizing ending. But I really enjoyed the ending. I did too. I mean, that was one of the first conversations we ever had was like how great the Lost ending was. That's how we became friends. Because it happened, the Lost ending happened in May of 2010, and we we became freshmen in college in August. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and I mean, where's, let's just jump ahead to the ending. We've already, like, brought it up. Yeah. Let's just do it. We can discuss <laughs> other things later. But the ending, yeah, I think it's great. I don't think it was a cop-out in any way. Like, I felt like I had been on, like, a worthy journey throughout the six seasons, and I felt like I got kind of my deserved ending that felt satisfying. Honestly, I think that the show faltered more in some of its middle yeah. than it did at the end. Uh, the cage. Oh god, the cage. the cage. I remember I remember actually dropping off the show for a little bit mm-hmm. in like season two. It was I season think? two, yeah. Yeah. That I was when I was kinda of struggling to find his feet. Yeah, season and I remember they held off season three for they for like a little bit and they like came back and said, So we're gonna do season three and then seasons four, five and six are gonna have shorter seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they end it after six. Like they made the decision to end the show after six seasons, way back in the beginning of season three. Mm-hmm. On their Which own terms. Which is also a great thing, like, the fact that they could end it on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, so much of what we have in television today was started by Lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I agree. So let's, let's talk about the ending, the actual, like, church scene and everything, and, like, how everyone got to there. Like, what do you guys think? Do you think everyone had a great, fulfilling moment at the end? I think so. Because it built up from, like, we've we discovered that the flash side, sideways were not just a alternate timeline, but it seemed to be their way of reconnecting into the afterlife. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. Mm, I liked it. Um, I saw it more as um, a sort of reconfirmation of the debate that the show had at the beginning, you know, the man of faith versus mm-hmm. man of science, and it kind of re-embedded that conflict at the end. And again, it chose faith, which is something that, like, a lot of people, I think, weren't very comfortable with, because, like, covering faith in, like, primetime television and, like, a drama is hard to do when there are so many people of different faiths and walks of life who are watching it. But I think it was not faith in terms of, like, a specific religion, but in terms yeah. of, like, kind of that spirituality and that connection that you have with other people and kind of, like, that shared experience. Um, getting philosophical all of a sudden, but... No, I, that's, well, what that's what the show what is. Yeah, that's what Lost was John about. John Locke, Rousseau. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a polarizing show because I think its problem from the beginning was that people saw it as a science fiction show. But... This is actually how I kind of describe it to people who are just getting too lost or who have, like, no idea except they're like, oh, it's a bad ending. I see it as a fantasy show. So if you see that, it doesn't have as many of the limitations and strict structure that sci-fi has. You can kind of delve into whatever surreal, strange, weird things happen and then just kind of it just go with the flow because it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that need to have an answer at the end. That's yeah. what fantasy is. Because you could bring in things like electromagnetism and time travel, but sure they have science, but that like that doesn't doesn't mean that it's a science based show. Yeah, and I think I think I think HD kind of touched on the right thing that it's not like it's not like overtly like it's not religious mm-hmm. as it is so much just about kind of the connections in the world. Mm-hmm. And, like, that can manifest in so many different ways. And I think also, like, two other things is that, like, one, 
you have to respect the sheer audacity of this show. Mm. Like, it is so ambitious. And I think that it's cool now to be cynical about loss, and it's, like, cool to, like, downplay it. But, like, at the time, we were all obsessed, and, like, it was unlike anything we had seen before. And I think it still deserves those kind of recognitions. Mm -hmm. Because it's incredible. I think that, you know, structurally it was amazing because it had a very unique TV episode structure that we hadn't really seen on TV before. So we had, like, you know, the flashbacks and the flash forwards, the flash sideways, and that was something that really laid the ground for a lot of great character work, which I think Lost primarily is a show about characters. Yeah. Which is why a lot of people were upset because, you know, like the whole argument for, like, in favor of the ending is that it's about the journey, not about the answers. And, like, the journey of these really special, really unique characters that we are introduced to and, uh, and become familiar with throughout the course of the show. Yeah, and that's part of why I liked the ending is because I felt like it was a worthy ending for the characters that I had invested so much time in. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to see them have a satisfying ending. My roommate and I finished watching Parks and Recreation yesterday. It was her first time watching it. Um, and, like, the finale is it's so perfect and it's like so and like some people could say like it's too almost perfect and it gives everyone what they want but kind of like that show is all about positivity and everything but like it was nice to see the characters that I had invested time in like have a satisfying ending Mm -hmm. yeah you know I want to what I put time into I want to like feel was deserved and I remember watching the the flash sideways and they started to remember like their their lives on the island and like Sawyer and, and Juliet met at the candy bar uh, the, the machine the machine the candy machine and they like suddenly remembered everything that they that they gone through and they just like started they just hugged and they just kissed and oh, it was, it was so, like there were so many satisfying moments yeah. with these characters in the flash sideways is that people were kind of right they were kind of like okay so this is an alternate timeline where they didn't meet and then the stranger things <laughs> started to happen oh, boy. and you can real you, you're starting to see that there's a bigger picture to the flash sideways and you realize what's happening and you, it's kind of this it's this great reveal of like what it what it means I think that a good counterpoint to Lost's ending um, and, like, how Lost's ending was very respectful of his characters and the growth of its characters is How I Met Your Mother. Um, and, like, yes. that was also a very controversial ending, but I think that that ending was actually much worse for the show than, than Lost was because it wasn't respectful of its characters. How I Met Your Mother was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an ending that they planned from the beginning of the show, from the onset, but the show went on for much longer than they anticipated, and the characters went in directions that they didn't anticipate. But in the end, they chose to do their original ending. And I think that's like a good counterpoint for Lost because people complain that Lost didn't have you know, a big master plan in mind. They're like, oh, they're just kind of throwing random things at it, just depending on what's going on, just like throwing twists and stuff. But I think that Lost was actually very respectful of its characters um, comparatively to How Met Your Mother. Yeah. Yeah, it's also a bit of a journey versus the destination Mm -hmm. debate and kind of what you prefer, what you put more stock into, or if you think they're kind of intrinsically tied to one another and, like, if one is bad, the other is kind of affected by it. But, like, I sort of feel like even if you didn't really, like, like the ending of Lost, it doesn't have to take away from the journey. I mean, like, the pilot of Lost is one of, if not the best pilot in television history. It's one of the best hours of TV. Two yeah. hours. Yeah. Best yeah. two hours and then, of TV. Like, 
and there are, you know, certain other episodes. I mean, my favorite episode will probably always be The Constant. Ugh. It's incredible, and, like, no matter what I think of other areas of the show, that episode is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, Lost had a really great journey. It did. And one that will kind of never get again. And a lot of it is thanks to his characters, which we've kind of touched on, but I just want to have a big appreciation for how yes. much I love the characters of Lost. And the fact that it was so diverse, and now it, we're, like, going back and having conversations about diversity in television, I and know. I'm like, can we talk about Lost? It was diverse before diversity was really thought about in television, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. it's so great. I love the characters of Lost so much that I considered naming my kids after characters in Lost. <laughs> like Jack, Kate, and Sawyer? Or yeah. would you do James? No, I would probably do Sawyer. I think they're good names. They're just like, you know, very... James Ford. Very uh, <laughs> canvas, like blank canvas type of names. I think mm-hmm. they're good. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, the characters are incredible. Well, well... Desmond, I'm a huge fan of. Charlie, I love so much. Yeah, and, like, Desmond's one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. of all time. And like, each of the characters, despite it being such a huge ensemble cast, they have a great arc and really great development in each of them. And, like, that was one of the benefits, again, of, like, the flashback, flash-forward structure that you could have, like, not that much happen in the present day, but you could really flesh out and strengthen, like, what this character is, what are his motivations, what does he want. It's such great storytelling. That's, like, I think what Lost was first and foremost. It was a great storytelling show. And what I loved more about not just the flashbacks fulfilling more character development, but also connections to, that these characters had that you previously didn't realize they had. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. just, you suddenly realize that everyone on this island is almost, well, at least the main characters, are somehow intrinsically connected by other characters, other plot points that happened in their past, and it just it all comes together on the island. Yeah, like, a thing I like to think about in terms of Lost is not so much, like, the answers, like, what are the whispers, what are this and that. I think it's better to watch it as a giant metaphor. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you see these connections between these characters, it's like, oh, why are they connected? Why do they know each other? I think it's more of a big metaphor for, like, how people, like, in the world are connected. Again, that sort yeah. of sense of spirituality and that connection. I think that also goes into that fantasy element as well, and not so much, like, the sci-fi element where everything has is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, the fantasy is that, like, you can... Um, project and like put these meanings onto like small things or small connections but like they mean something else yeah I think also you know watching the show as like a character piece and like Mm -hmm. a character study which is then kind of not elevated but like it's padded up almost with kind of like the sci-fi fantasy elements and like the twists and turns but like still at the core of the show it was the characters they're layers focus on that yeah if you focus on that it makes the show so much more satisfying. Like, HT's always surprised when I say this, but Shannon's one of my favorite characters on the show, <laughs> like, of all time. We were talking about this before the podcast, so she was like, oh, yeah. we talked about this earlier, but, like, I was defending Shannon to you. I'm like, what? When? <laughs> yeah, she didn't remember. It was a while ago, to be yeah. fair. Um, but, yeah, Shannon's one of my favorite characters be- because she's one of those characters that, like, people don't expect things of her, and, like, it's really easy to make a first judgment on Shannon. Like, even more than a lot of the other characters, it's easy to kind of just, like, really judge her mm-hmm. and then she proves herself against all those judgments like that's why I love Shannon and I think her and Saeed that was a great move on the writer's part to put them together because mm-hmm. like they made a really great pairing 
just like romantically and platonically. Like I just thought Saeed and Shannon were so great together, and it's like one of I those, really love Shannon. It's like one of those great tropes where the guy with like the really tragic past, he's very steeped in this tragedy and emotions, and this girl who just comes from such different walk of life and kind of brings that breath of fresh air into it. I get really emotional about all the relationships in this show, by the Same. way. Do you guys remember when Walt gives Vincent to Shannon after Boone dies? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, oh my Boone! God. Oh. I know Boone. But like, yeah, these it's just the characters are so great. However, I need to bring something up, and I'm sorry to bring up a terrible memory. We're talking about really great characters, guys, but there was a time when Lost really messed up Nikki and Paolo. <laughs> Nikki and Paolo. Okay, I kind of, okay, I don't see Nikki and Paolo as, like, a taint on their legacy, but rather a hilarious blip, because um, Nikki and Paolo came out of a lot of the criticisms of Lost, like, when it was airing, saying, like, why are there only these characters that we're focusing on? Like, aren't there other characters on the island? Why aren't we seeing them? So they introduced Nikki and Paolo, who were just positively the worst characters in the world, um, and like they're like, oh yeah, one time I was talking to you about this, uh, Jack, and they're like, what, when? And so it's like a very self-aware kind of insertion of the criticisms of the show. And then like they caught on really fast that Nikki and Paolo were hated, and they killed them the, in the most brutal way. <laughs> Hilarious. It was I like, actually, I actually used them in a paper in college because I really? wrote a paper about like television fandom and like the relationship between creators and fans. And that was one of the ones I used because fans were so vocal about their hatred of Nikki and Paolo that the writers killed them basically for the fans. Yeah. They're a manifestation basically of like fan reactions essentially, which I, which is why I find it's funny. Not so much just like, oh, they were terrible and Lost is terrible, but I think it was just like a really funny sort of reaction that the Lost so creators funny. had and the writers had. Also, Paolo was played by the hot guy in Love Actually that Laura Linney was into. Oh, he was! I forgot <laughs> about that guy. That's, like, all I know him from. <laughs> like, Lost in Love Actually. So I'm curious. what are Who are your guys' favorite characters in Lost? So, picking just two, it's always Desmond and Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a really soft spot for Jin and Saeed as well. I'd have to say... Hurley, Charlie, and Frank Lapidus. These are all characters that I very much expect you to pick. Really. They're kind of like different aspects of you. Okay, but Frank Lapidus, when he finds that the Oceanic Six are on his flight, and he just goes, we're not going to Guam, are we? I love Frank Lapidus. You know, Frank Lapidus, I feel like, almost isn't a Lost character, though. He feels like MacGyver just inserted into <laughs> Lost. Yes. You know I mean, what I mean? He kind of is, why didn't they reboot MacGyver with the actor who plays Frank Lapidus? Because that'd be perfect. Lapidus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god. What about you, HD? Okay. I love Charlie. I love Desmond. But I also want to give a, a shout out to the most tragic character in the show, John Locke. And I just, I really love, like, I think John Locke is the epitome of everything Lost is. Like, mm-hmm. he is that character that you kind of don't expect to become so prominent. And he, like, rises out from, like, his, his disability, but he's also really flawed. And he just has, like, the most tragic arc. But at the same time, it's something that's, like, respectful to his character and, like, is organic. I feel so sad when I think about John Locke, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, angered by what the writers did with him. Yeah. John Locke was a masterpiece Plus, in, like, storytelling. Again, totally Terry O'Quinn's acting was yes. yes. Oh, yeah. my God. He's incredible. But it's so funny, like... I remember when I was watching it, and still sort of today, 
John Mock's incredible, but I was always on Jack's side. Yeah, like, yeah. I was always, I was always the kind of science mm-hmm. side of things. I was always kind of with Jack on everything, and I still am. Um, but like John Locke is incredible. I think that's the thing is like this show is no matter who your favorite characters are, you're gonna get invested in pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. Like because they write them so well. Like Rose and Bernard oh, Rose are Bernard. just so great, and they're so wonderful. And like Claire, is so wonderful. I love Kate Claire's and Claire's great. friendship. Oh Kate God. and Claire are really great together, mm-hmm. and their friendship. Just that's the thing about this show is that like these characters are were so well developed and mm-hmm. so well acted. They were, and like at the same time, they were empathetic enough that you could kind of latch onto one and be like, "I understand this character the most," or like, "I empathize with them the most," and kind of have that sort of connection as well. I'm going into metaphor again, but I feel like they Do were it. they were us, you know, and like yeah. that's sort of like losses about life and kind of how we react to all the turmoils and troubles that life throws our way, and like. You know, I think that's I really that's just want to watch the entire show again right yeah. now. Yeah. I want to watch... I watch the constant. Constantly. Ha! <laughs> ha! That's because it's so great. It's so it's good. It's like, my favorite Christmas episode. Like, you know, around Christmas time, you want to watch, like, an episode of TV or a movie. The constant is my Christmas episode. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. it, that's like people who say, like, Die Hard is their favorite Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not, like, like, really about Christmas. It's not. Any Shane Black movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I just, I love it. So I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. So Lost had a lot of, like, twists and turns, really big surprises. And, like, one of the things that we criticize in television today is, like, things being done for shock value. And I think the big difference is that, like, Lost earned all of its shocks, whereas today writers kind of just insert them just to get a reaction out of people because, like, there's so much television that they're competing, so you have to kind of one-up each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lost kind of did it out of this genuine grand story they were telling. And so basically, if you guys have any comments on that, but also what were some of your favorite twists from uh, Lost? I completely agree with you, Anya. Um, one of the trademarks of Lost was that each episode ended in some sort of cliffhanger or another. Um, but to quote uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Story Wonk, um, is the difference between a cliffhanger and a game changer. And I think a lot of the cliffhangers at the end of the Lost episodes were game changers. They were something that weren't just made to shock you, but were to, like, change everything up and, like, bring the story to another act. At the end of every episode, it would have that cliffhanger. It would just cut to black, and I would feel this rush of adrenaline, just, what just happened? What's going to happen next? And I think Lost is one of those shows that, really benefits from the week-to-week viewing because you just, you anticipate so much that next episode and you're never really let down. Um, I haven't binged Lost before, so I don't know what the experience for that would be like. I feel like it would be be very different than that, you know, that anticipation and that kind of, that waiting game that you have. And yeah, yeah, Lost was also the first show that I started like reading the forums up on and theorizing. I would go into the IMDb forums every week and like read up all the theories and like that was one of my favorite parts of experiencing Lost because there are so many layers and aspects to it that may or may not have been relevant but they were just so fun to experience while you're watching the show um I kind of went off topic but (laughs) I agree completely Anya because I feel like yeah it's organic it's a game changer as opposed to a lot of tv shows today where they just kind of throw in a twist a death a shocking moment or like rape which is another whole other issue 
And that's just bad storytelling. It's not anything that's organic or that's actually respectful of the character's growth or arcs. Um, so the question was, what are our favorite uh, twists? What are some of your favorite twists? Uh, like... I'd have to say, like, a lot of them become come from, like, the beginnings of each season where they always kind of try and and show you a different point of view from the, of the world. And I like seasons two. Season two opens with Desmond in the hatch, like, living mm-hmm. his life. And season three opened with uh, the others reacting to the crash of Oceanic 815 mm-hmm. from their uh, barracks. And, like, Juliet was in, like, a book club. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Who are these people? Yeah. And then you realize, oh, shit, it's the others. And, like, those moments were always great when they kind of... Subvert your expectations. They subverted your expectations or they showed you a different part of the island that you weren't expecting to. Um I think, see, I mean, season six has a ton, a ton of that. Like, rev- like they're not really plot twists, but they're reveals mm-hmm. uh, of they're the like show. Different, different perspective that yeah. you never really considered before, and that, in a sense, is like not throwing in a cheap twist, but just like revealing more of this world and this kind of like or like story, or like how, trying to figure out like where did the damn polar bear come from, and then you realize that it comes from a separate island in which they have a bunch of animals. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I really like the the peeling back of of the layers of the show. Or, like, the reveal that, like, Locke was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and then, like, the reveal when, like, Locke's in the coffin. Just, like, things like that. Or, like, I remember one of the biggest ones early on was when Michael kills Anna Lucia and Libby. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, that, well, that's, um, I wasn't going to make that my favorite, but it is a devastating It's not twist. my favorite, but I think it's, it was one of those moments early on that was just, like, whoa. Or, like, yeah. I mean, just Walt being taken by the others. Mm-hmm. Like, that was crazy. Um, when Anna Lucia kills Shannon, like, that was kind of a big... Because, like, after Boone, Shannon was the next, like, big death that we really cared about. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, this big twist. Um, but I felt like my favorite, because I, I don't think I've ever had a reaction to TV like this, was when Ben moved the island. <laughs> like, I remember, like, screaming. That was... That was a... I don't know if that would be my favorite because it was a little bit on the ridiculous side. That was a what the fuck like, moment. <laughs> that was, but like that was the thing is it was just so like what the fuck that I was just like what, like it wasn't like it wasn't the the best written or like the most character driven or like the most satisfying. So like I totally get you on that. It's not my favorite in that way, but I feel like it's my favorite in just the terms of the sheer ambition of the show. And that introduced the time the time jumping mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the next season and how they kind of went back and forth around the island at different times. And that the hilarious bit where, like, Sawyer was shirtless for half of it and then just stole a shirt from one of the random Dharma initiative guys. Yes. Uh, I think the so, show is great because it's, like, it's also, you know, it's the serious, really great and grand philosophical show but it also has those winking moments like the Sawyer shirtless part it's very self-aware like Nikki and Paolo and I think that's like and Hurley like you know those audience surrogates and that kind of stuff so I think like people see Lost like this really heavy and serious and sweeping show but it's it's varied you know it Mm. has it has a lot of funny Mm -hmm. moments and I the think golf a lot of course. yeah, the all, golf all, all, yeah, and that's the thing is it all comes back to characters because mm-hmm. you get Hurley trying to restart the van, the Dharma van that they find. <laughs> that moment is so good. I and they're driving it, and it's so emotional and so great. They're so overjoyed. I like I start cheering up a little bit during that scene just because like they're all they're also happy. Because like so they probably haven't that. driven a car in months I at that know. time. And Jin's face during that part where he's just like overjoyed. Yeah, Ugh. it's like the little moments that they can yeah. get the. When, when they're not being bombarded by bullets from Charles Woodmore's company or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention real quick that I feel like 
Jin, Jin and Sun, but like Jin especially for me had just a really great arc. Mm. Like I feel like those two characters were just so nuanced and so well done, and kind of like again, sort of like with Shannon is like when you first see them, like you there are all these like misconceptions about them and like prejudgments about them and who they are and like she doesn't really talk and he seems domineering and just like the way that they kind of evolve through the show i think they have one of the best kind of evolutions mm-hmm. throughout the show and like their deaths like it's still just terrible it's so sad especially because <laughs> that comes right on the heels of saeed dying okay yeah. saeed is like one of the sh- the characters that i have the most um conflicted feelings about because really well okay he is really great for the first five seasons Wait, are we going to talk about, like, zombie We're going to talk about now? zombie Saeed. Okay, because, okay, okay, I get it now. Because, okay, this is, like, one of the only criticisms I have of the show, is that in the last one or two seasons, they really leaned into that kind of reputation they have for twists and really mm-hmm. crazy things and, like, subversions. And it just went into this really weird track where we had zombie Saeed, who was at the He's, like, at the beck of the island, I think. Like, he was one of the... Yeah. He's being, like, possessed by the island's will or something like that. And he, like, started killing people and then finally came to his senses in the last moment for, like, a great self-sacrificial death. But I just... I felt like that was one of the only few disrespectful moments for characters in which, like, they kind of just... He wasn't Saeed. Yeah, okay. I, I completely agree with that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. You're right. And also... Also, uh, Squirrel Claire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Lost, as much as we gush and love about it, it did have its missteps. Um, and I think that the big problem was that it, as fun as it is to be, like, so engrossed in that fan culture, and it was really nice that it was respectful of its fans, I think that pressure and that kind of relationship they have with their fans hurt it in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think overall... It still shines, and like I think it came overcame a lot of those problems. It did, and I think I mean, like I said earlier, like I think just at the end of the day, you can't really downplay or erase the impact that Lost had mm-hmm. on kind of the television landscape and just media landscape in general. And I think it's such a cornerstone now. Yeah, I just I I get upset actually when people talk about Lost like it's some sort of like embarrassment like blemish yeah like a blemish yeah. in tv history because you know it was so impactful it won an emmy which is very rare for a genre show like lost it's one of the first genre shows to win an emmy right yeah yeah um yeah but now game of thrones keeps winning them yeah. so. i think it's game of thrones now has like the most nominations uh, in history yeah uh, we uh. you know our feelings on that but yeah <laughs> lost was a game changer and i think that you know it has its flaws mm. and some of them were self-inflicted some of them are like a little overblown but it's a show that deserves its place in TV history. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's a good note to end our Lost discussion on. As you can tell, all of us can gush about Lost forever. Yes. So, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Alright, um, Anya, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? I really like having a treat yourself weekend. Yeah. So that is the weekend that I've had, and it's been much needed, and it's been so enjoyable, and it's just made me smile a lot this weekend. Um, last night I went to the mall and had a bit of a retail therapy treat yourself. 
felt very much like Tom and Donna, you know, and it was just nice being at the mall with a friend and just, like, going into stores and just enjoying yourself and buying things that make you happy, and it was just retail therapy is a thing, and it felt good, um, but my biggest treat yourself moment over the weekend was Bridget Jones's baby. Okay. <laughs> I love this film. I love it so much. I want to see it again immediately. It's no secret that I really love rom-coms. We had an episode all about it, and I miss rom-coms. I think the first Bridget Jones is one of the best rom-coms. Um, Edge of Reason, we won't really talk about. Yeah. That one can kind of go away, but Bridget Jones and Bridget Jones' Baby. So you would say Bridget Jones' Baby is better than Edge of Reason? Oh, by far. Even though oh it doesn't God. have floppy-haired Hugh Grant? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's got McDreamy, right? That um, it's so it's so much better than Edge of Reason for so many reasons. I don't know if it's better than the first one. It's not, but like it's up there. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, it was also it's you know it was directed and written by women, which I think rom coms need more of. Um, I just think the Bridget Jones franchise is so great because Bridget Jones is such a great character, and the movie, even through all her flaws and everything, the movies never condemn her. And they always support her, and they're always on her side. Um, and she has, like, female friendships that are really great. She has a new female friendship in Bridget Jones' Baby that is just wonderful. And I love her and Mark Darcy. Colin Firth has is so great in Bridget Jones' Baby. I just, like, I had so much fun with it, and it was exactly what I needed. And it was such a great film. And I, like, can't stop thinking about it and how much fun it was. So, you know what, guys? Go see Bridget Jones' Baby, because it is fantastic, and I love it. I think the other thing is that it really commits to what it is. Like, it has no shame about it, and it's just like, this is what this movie is, and we're going to go all the way, and we're going to just really commit and be authentic. And Emma Thompson's great. Emma Thompson was one of the writers of the film. Right. It explains a lot. Um, and so was the author of the book. I think she helped write the screenplay. And it's just so great. I think it says a lot of great things. Like, actually, it has really good commentary, too, so. Hmm. Okay. Especially for Bridget, so. Yeah, so treat yourself, enjoy the things that you love, and just be happy. That's what I'm really liking this weekend. All right. Um, I will go next. I, Willoughby and I actually saw Magnificent Seven, which I enjoyed much more than I thought I would. And I'm going to give a full recommendation to you, Anya, because this is a movie out I think you would especially enjoy. I love westerns. Yes. Westerns are so good, and it really le- leans into that Western iconography. There's oh, so many so moments much. that you're just like, that is so classic Western. It made me giddy. I don't even watch that many at Westerns, but I like wanted to clap every time they did something like the classic, you know, shot of the sun and like the shadow the and silhouettes. like the silhouettes. So many silhouettes. The silhouettes were great. Um, every time like there was a big standoff, they had that horn, you know, that you mm-hmm. have in a lot of Westerns. Like, yeah, I was just, I was so happy. Um, Denzel Washington is great. This was a role that almost seemed like it was made for him. He really pulled off like, that John so Wayne-esque. Happy. Yeah, he pulled off that John Wayne-esque cowboy so well. Um, the story, you know, I understand like why it's getting like middling reviews. It's like a very by-the-numbers story, but it's a story that works, and I think they did it, they pulled it off exceptionally well. Yeah, so I have a question. Yes. Um, so Chris Pratt is great, and yes. I love him, and he's so funny, and he's great in all that he does, but I feel like lately... Um, seeing him, it feels so much like, oh, it's Chris Pratt as this character, rather than just this character. 
like it you it it very much is like oh that's Chris Platt playing this character. Well, that, that was actually my biggest criticism yeah. of the okay. movie. I was kind of complaining to Willoughby this entire time actually because you know ever since he was named like next Harrison Ford like this past two years it boy after Guardians of the Galaxy kind of just been posing in every movie. Google Earth, always taking pics. Yes, yep. that was a joke I made after Jurassic yeah. World. Yeah. And, like, it's, it gets a little bit ridiculous. And I I think it kind of works with the character because he plays, like, that roguish... Um, He's like the comedy the relief. He, goes in, he, like, it, he leans heavily into his, like... Yeah. What he can do. It's a little ridiculous because he's like he walks in and like his hip juts out and he's just like one cool line. I'm he might as well be be chewing like a piece of of whey or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, there's one nice moment where like the camera pans up Chris Pat and I'm like I was, this is after I was like why is Chris Pat always posing and I was like I'm playing to Willoughby but I was like okay I appreciate that moment of female gaze and I yes. think like that was like the the kind of character he was playing. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. Another thing. The characters in this movie were so great. Even the ones that had minimal cool. lines. And, like, it was the racially diverse cast that we need. But in a way, that was like, very organic at the same time as playing an homage to the previous Magnificent Seven as well as Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was the original basis for the story. I think it's really great that, like, because uh, Bridget Jones also has some moments of, like, female gaze. And it's mm-hmm. just so nice. Like, I'm just like, yes. Female gaze. And, uh, female gaze. In defense of Chris Pratt, if... I lost 100 pounds, I would be voguing and posing all the time. Yeah, I understand. I just wish he would act sometimes. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> much. Yeah, but, like, Chris Pratt's the only really weak spot of this movie, like, other than, like, you know, the by-the-numbers story. But I think, like, personally, you would enjoy it a lot because I saw a lot of similarities to one of the movies that you really liked unexpectedly outside of, like, the, the critics' response. Um, what movie did I love? That Henry Cavill... Um, Man from Uncle. Man, Man from, from Uncle. Uncle. I saw a lot of similarities to that because the characters were really strong and that repartee was really good mm-hmm. and it was like sleek okay. and pretty and the cinematography was great. But yeah, the story is like, eh. I think you would personally well, really enjoy no, Back in the I've been, in- I mean, I've been interested in the movie. It's just not like I wasn't sure when I was going to get to it, but now it's bumped up a little bit on my list. So yes. I have to go see it that sooner than later. It should definitely be bumped up on that list. Yeah. And it subverts a lot of um, like stereotypical race um, moments in like classic westerns. Ooh, it did. Actually, Willby had a really great insight um, after watching the original Magnificent Seven um, when he saw this movie. Please tell. Wait, what was the insight? It was the whole thing like <laughs> about like the enemy being the oh yeah. At the beginning. So a little mild spoilers for both movies. Um, the first Magnificent Seven, and, along with Seven Samurai, the bad guys were bandits who just come in and take over the town, and the town is under duress by these by this gang of bandits. But in the new movie, it's white capitalism is yeah. the bad guy. And it's played by uh, Peter Skarsgård. The main characters are all racially diverse, and they come in to save this town uh, under pressure by this white capitalist. It's actually, actually very modern. It flips the narrative. So yeah. it's like the little people setting up to the man. Mm-hmm. And I yes. really like that flipping of narrative. Yeah. So I think... I'm like, excited, now I'm excited to see this. Yay! All right. Yay. All right, Willoughby. Willoughby. Mine is Penny Dreadful. Uh, I watched the first season yesterday because um, I had some time to kill. And I watched it, and it's kind of you know getting me into the Halloween season. Um, <laughs> it's not even October yet. It is the fourth day of fall, but that's okay. Um so, for those of you who don't know, quick synopsis, Penny Dreadful is basically 
kind of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in this and set all these Victorian literature characters come together and they're trying to fight off the forces of darkness. Um, it does some good ex- um, subverting of characters. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein is a major character and he's got this weird, interesting relationship with uh, his creature uh, who is alive and very talkative. Um, and then you've also got... Uh, Josh Hardnett, who plays a cowboy who comes in, and he's kind of like rootin' tootin', but he's also got a complicated past. Um, and it's just... And Timothy Dalton is great as like... Timothy Dalton's in it? Yeah, he's like a major character. And he's trying to he's trying to find his daughter who's been taken by the forces of darkness. Mm. Um, and uh, Eva Green is in it, and she's great. She's this kind of like... Almost like a medium. She can like talk to spirits and whatnot. Mm. Um, so it's, it's great. It's a good melding of all these characters... Um, and I'm excited to, to watch seasons two and three. So it's kind of like a gothic Once Upon a Time. Yeah, it is, but it doesn't it doesn't go to like their character stories and like there's no story book that they go yeah. back into or whatever. I could never get past season one of Penny Dreadful. Oh but, no, no, but Billy Piper's in it, so now I'm always like she oh, is in it. I love her. Oh, yeah, Timothy Dalton's great in it. I love Timothy Dalton. I want him to be in everything, and I'm glad that he's in this. He is. He's so great. Yeah. Um, I, I still love him so much in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, he's, he's great. great. I like him a lot in oh. Chuck, actually. He's yeah. in Chuck. He's great. He's also um, the porcupine in Toy Story 3. He's the Is actor. He? He's the he actor. Yes. He's yes. so oh good. That's a very Timothy, Timothy Dalton. Dalton. Timothy Dalton is like one of my favorite character actors, guys. He's the best. Okay, so Willoughby. Yes. To continue your like Halloween feelings and stuff. Watch over the garden wall. I will. I will. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep doing it until you watch it. Have you watched HD? I haven't watched it. Okay. HD. I mean, the thing is, I feel like HT might like it more a little bit, hmm. but you both need to watch it because it's still the best. Well, so yeah, so I'm really liking Penny Dreadful Yay! and the whole spooky nature that it comes through. <laughs> that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on. Lost, or if you have any thoughts on Bridget Jones's Baby, Penny Dreadful, or The Magnificent Seven, definitely come hit us up. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on our blog at millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on Facebook, where you can search us, search for us there. We're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. Where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. I'm at htrenbui on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Peace, guys. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. We have to go back. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.